you remain standing, please, and keep that hymn book and turn back to 715. We're going to read God's Word together today. A selection from several portions of God's Word, both in the Old and New Testament. 715 is entitled Stewardship. I'll read the portions that are in the regular print, and if you'll join together in unison on those portions in bold print as we read God's Word together. 715. 715 stewardship, 715 as you read God's word together. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Bring me all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in thine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye will always have all sufficiency all Amen. We know God will bless the reading of this word. You may be seated.
Thank you so much, choir, for leading us in worship today. Zig Ziglar once said, Money isn't the most important thing in life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen on the gotta have it scale. Uh, All of us are impacted by this subject. All of us have to have money to survive. All of us. There's not a one of us in here that does not have to have some money. Uh, Do you think that's one of the reasons that uh, the Bible talks so much about money? When you think about the Bible and you think about money, Howard Dayton wrote, it contains 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. So think about that. More than prayer, more than faith, money and possessions. In fact, he said 15% of everything that Jesus said that we have recorded in the Bible has to do with this subject. Now, if Jesus thought it was that important, we should too. If he spent that much time teaching on it and talking about it, we better spend time doing the same. And that's why we're spending the month of February talking about money. We're talking about it in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we talked about what the Bible talks about when it... Speaks of money and possessions. We're talking about it in our messages on Sunday morning, with the exception of one. We do have WMU Sunday. We'll look at a different topic that day, but every other Sunday morning, we'll be looking at the subject of money. Now, I don't need to tell you, but we're living in trying economic days. Money is in the news, money is on people's minds. Just look around. I pulled this out of the Charlotte Observer uh, just last month. How you can bank a bundle in 2013. $10,000 worth of tips inside. Some of the tips I wouldn't give you 10 cents for, but there's some things in there that you could use. There was some good stuff and some stuff that I scratched my head over. Uh, It's in the news. I walked into the uh, Marshall Library. Uh, I guess it's been uh, last month as well. A whole table full of uh, books about money and finance. I I checked this one out. The smartest money book you'll ever read. The smartest money book you'll ever read. I'm sure there's some great stuff in here, but I I take exception with the title. Because, beloved, this is the smartest money book you'll ever read, the Bible. Because God's Word talks about it. But there's some things there, and there's some truth there you can use. All truth is God's truth. And so I'm sure there's some wonderful things in there as well. Um, Everywhere you look, the news... The newspaper, television, all over, money, money, money. Money is a timely subject. Money is an important subject, but I want to submit to you this morning that money is a spiritual subject. And with all that in mind, I want to take you this morning to what is perhaps the most puzzling parable that our Lord Jesus ever gave. You'll find it in the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. I'd ask you to turn to your... Uh, in your Bibles, to Luke chapter 16, to what is probably the most puzzling parable the Lord Jesus ever gave, at least on the surface. And we're going to read the parable, then we're going to examine it, and then we're going to come back and see what else Jesus had to say about uh, what He's talking about here in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, begin reading at verse number 1. Luke chapter 16, begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? 
Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Now look at verse eight. So the master commended, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. He commended him. Now you follow the story, right? A certain rich man has a steward. Today we wouldn't call him a steward, we call him a manager. He was the manager over the, the master's household and the master's possession. And as an accusation comes up, says, listen, the steward is wasting your goods. And so he calls him in. He goes to the boss's office and he's told he's going to be fired. You're going to give an accounting. I want to see the books. I want to see the records. And apparently a little time is given between the news that he's going to be fired and his actual firing because he's not escorted off the premises right away. No, he goes back and he gets the books out and he begins to call in the creditors, those who owe the master money. And he begins giving drastic uh, discounts. He's already mentioned here that he cannot dig. In other words, he may have been too old that he could not physically dig or or maybe he was so pampered in being a manager for so long he just couldn't bring himself to dig. He wasn't able. He says, I cannot beg. Shameful to be a beggar. So I'm going to call in the creditors and I'm going to offer some discounts. He starts slashing debts. 50% for the first one. Mark your bill at 100. Make it 50 now. 20% off for the next one. And there's much debate, beloved, as you study this passage, if whether this is the interest, whether it's the principle. Some say, well, maybe it's even his own commission. But taking it at face value, which we're going to do, uh, what he's doing here looks downright crooked. If you notice in the first part of the passage, when he says he's wasting his master's good, it didn't say how he wasted it. Now, he may have been doing things that were crooked or illegal, but it may have just been mere sloth. Maybe he was just lazy. We don't know. But when you get down to verse 8, after he goes through this process of slashing the debts, it says what? It calls him the unjust steward, the unjust manager. And that is, I believe, this reducing of the debts, this slashing the, the master's uh, creditors here is wrong. It's crooked. It's evil. And now the puzzling part. He's the unjust steward, and it says in verse 8, so the master, that is his master, his boss, commended him because he acted shrewdly. Your translation may have, he acted wisely or he acted prudently. Now here's the question. How in the world could his master commend him? It doesn't say condemn him. It says he commended him. He's injured his master more now than he had before. So how can he commend him? Well, notice carefully, beloved. It doesn't say that he commended his actions. What he did was wrong. What he's commending here is his wisdom for preparing for the future. His shrewdness. 
as is translated here in the New King James, his shrewdness. Gary Enrich helps us. Since the word shrewd, by the way, when you think about shrewd, you think about an evil connotation, don't you? That person's shrewd. But listen, since the word shrewd is the key to the story, it's important to consider its meaning carefully. The Greek word means to act with foresight. It's illustrated in Jesus' discourse by the wise man. Literally the shrewd man who built his house upon the rock. Remember him before the storm came? The shrewd man, the wise man, built his house upon the rock. Matthew chapter 7. It also describes the five wise or shrewd virgins in Matthew 25 who bring extra oil anticipating future need. This is the dishonest manager's quality. He acts decisively in the present to position himself for the future. He's thinking ahead. He's acting with foresight. He knows the future's coming. He knows he's going to be fired. He knows he can't beg. He won't beg. So I've got to do something to prepare for my future. And in that, his master said, I commend you in your foresight. Not your actions, but your attitude, your foresight, your shrewdness. So understand, this is not a lesson today. Say, hey, well, I can go out and I can be dishonest. Because the Bible says he was commended. No, it doesn't. He was commended not for his dishonest actions, but his future Outlook. Now we're thinking about having a godly attitude when it comes to money. And I want to give you four keys today, four truths that you've got to get down if you're going to have a godly attitude when it comes to money. And I want you to jot these four down if you would. If you don't have something to write notes with, grab a care card. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. I want you to write the references down. And I want you to have this and I want you to take it. And by the way, we're going to give you a tool today. And I'll talk to you more about that a little bit later. We're going to give every family a tool today. Something to take with you and put into practice beginning today. Four things you've got to get down to have a godly attitude about money. Number one, you must acknowledge that God owns everything. You must acknowledge that God owns everything. And we talked about that some this morning in Sunday school, didn't we? God owns everything. Now, we see this illustrated in our story here in Luke 16 by the certain rich man. You see, the certain rich man, the master, he was the one that owned all these goods. The man who went later and slashed all the debts and all that, he wasn't the owner of these things. He was the manager. And the manager owned nothing. So we have to acknowledge that God owns everything. Let me give you a bunch of scriptures. Ready? Psalm 50, 11 and 12. Psalm 50, 11 and 12. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine in all its fullness. Psalm 50, 11 and 12. Haggai 2 and 8. Haggai 2.8. Some of these you'll recognize from our responsive reading this morning. Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come for you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Are you seeing a theme here, beloved? Leviticus 25.23 Leviticus 25.23 The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Psalm 24.1 
Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. Deuteronomy 10.14, indeed heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. Job 41.11, who has preceded me that I should pay him, everything under heaven is mine. Over and over and over again, God says in his word, plain and clear, large letters, it all belongs to me. It's all mine. You must acknowledge that God owns everything. You belong to God. You belong to Him by creation. He created you. He gave you life. He sustains your life. And if you're saved today, if you know the Lord Jesus, you're doubly His. Why? You're His by creation and you're His by recreation, redemption. That is, He's purchased you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit. Which are God's. What price was that? It's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even belong to yourself. You must acknowledge. You're going to have a godly attitude. You're going to think about money and possessions. The way that God wants you to. You must acknowledge that everything. Belongs to God. God owns everything. That's a key. And if you don't get that one down, the rest of the series, the rest of this message, the rest of the message we're going to be preaching, Sunday's blessings, they're not going to mean a lot to you. That is the starting point. God owns everything. Now here's the second key. You must acknowledge that you're a manager of God's possessions. You must acknowledge that you're a manager of God's possessions. Now listen, everything belongs to God. No question about it. You say, well, I don't believe it. That doesn't matter. It still belongs to God. Truth is truth. Everything belongs to God. This church is God's. Clothes you're wearing, they're God's. The car you drove today, it's God's. The house you live in, that belongs to God. The food you're going to eat, that's God's food. All of it belongs to Him. You are a manager of God's possession. Now, in the Bible, it often talks about steward. You're a steward. You're, a, you're in a stewardship. It's a manager, a steward. You're taking what doesn't belong to you and you're managing it. And beloved, this goes well beyond our pocketbook. In fact, let me give you a good definition of stewardship. Biblical stewardship. Ron Blue gave a great definition. I love it. He said, biblical stewardship is the use of God-given gifts of resources, time, talent, treasure, Truth, relationship, all those resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Let me summarize that again. It's the use of God-given resources for God-given goals. Those resources go beyond just our pocketbook. Our time, our talent, our treasure, the truth, relationships, all of that. It's a stewardship. We manage these things. And so you're a steward today. You're a manager. Maybe you came in today and said, well, I'm, you're a manager. You're a manager of God's possessions, including yourself. Let me give you some scripture. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So everything I do, I do it in the name of Jesus. Colossians 3.23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. 
knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You say, well, I work over at yonder, I work here. Yes, you do, but in that job, you're serving ultimately Christ. Let me give you one more, or two more. Romans 14, 7 and 8. Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. One more. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Have you really acknowledged the fact, beloved, that God owns everything and that you're a steward, you're a manager of what belongs to God? Have you fully grasped that truth? It will change your life. The great reformer Martin Luther said people go through three conversions. Say, what does he mean? Three conversions. Well, he says there's the conversion of the head, the conversion of their heart, and of their pocketbook. But he said, unfortunately, not all at the same time. And so maybe you're here today and say, well, I'm saved. I'm born again. Well, praise the Lord. That's glorious. I'm so happy. But have you recognized and realized today that you are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That God owns everything. That you're a manager for Him. Have you gone through all three conversions? The head, the heart, and the pocketbook to realize it all belongs to God. So if you're going to have a godly attitude about money, first of all, you must acknowledge God owns everything. Second, you must acknowledge that I am a manager of God's possessions. Third, are you ready for this one? You must accept the fact that you will give an accounting of your stewardship. You must accept the fact that you will give an accounting of your stewardship. In our story this morning, the parable, the steward was called in. And he was told he's going to give an accounting. You know what, beloved? One day we're going to be called in and we're going to give an accounting. Christian, listen, you're going to give an accounting of your stewardship one day. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is not about salvation. That's settled at the foot of the cross. When you found the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you cried out to Him, you're forgiven, your sin is forgiven, past, present, future sin. It's forgiven, that's settled. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's forever settled. If you know the Lord Jesus, praise the Lord, that's forever settled. But you're going to give an accounting of your stewardship, how you lived your life, what you did with what God entrusted to you. And this life, is this accounting is all about um, rewards, being rewarded for being a faithful steward. You see, the way we use the Lord's gifts and His possessions and what He's given to us is to bring honor and glory to Him. And the thing He's concerned about, you know what it is? It's faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let me give you that verse again. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now let's go back to the passage. You still in Luke 16? Let's pick up where we left off. Look back at verse 8 again. The Lord Jesus is going to add some commentary here. It says in verse 8, So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says next. For the sons of this world, notice this, that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, now watch what Jesus says. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Now you read that and you're like, 
Let me read that again. Make sure I'm reading that right. I say to you, verse 9, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money, it's possessions. Now this seems very puzzling, does it not? Jesus says, make friends with unrighteous mammon. What exactly does he mean when he says, make friends with unrighteous mammon? Now he makes a contrast there, did you notice it? He contrasted the sons of the world in their generation and the sons of light. Did you see that in the passage? It says there again. Look back at verse 8. Middle part. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now the son of this world in their generation are people who are living worldly lives. Don't care about the Lord or anything. They're just living life. The sons of light would be those of us who know the Lord. Those of us who are headed to heaven. Those of us who have the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And what the Lord is saying here is those who live for today, the sons of this world, they make preparations for their future. Just like the unjust steward. Uh, They prepare. They act shrewdly. Yet those of us who are the sons and daughters of light, those of us who know the Lord Jesus as Savior, those of us headed to heaven, we don't act shrewdly in preparing for our future, our eternal future. You say, what do you mean, preacher? What's he talking about there? We should use money. We should use possessions. Listen, to make friends. It says make friends of unrighteous mammon. We should use our money to make friends who will welcome us when we fail. Did you see that in the passage? Look back there again. Verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, that is when you die. When you die. They may receive you into an everlasting home. What is he saying? Is he saying you buy your way into heaven? No. We know better. For by grace you say through faith. The money can't buy your way to heaven. So what in the world is he meaning here? Listen, we should use the money and the resources that God has given to us to share the gospel with other people. And then there's coming a day we're going to die. And we're going to go to heaven. You know what the glorious things would be when you get to heaven? Uh, Yes, seeing Jesus is the most glorious thing. But imagine stepping into heaven and meeting men and women, boys and girls, that because you gave, because you used your resources, they heard the gospel. And they're there as well to welcome you home. And maybe even to say, thank you for giving to Lottie Moon. Thank you for giving to Annie Armstrong. Thank you for going on that mission field. Uh, Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving up your home. Thank you for inviting me to Sunday school. Thank you for using your resources, your possessions that God gave to you, that I might hear the gospel, that I might be saved, and that I'm here today with the Lord Jesus in you for all eternity. You see the lesson. Use, make friends with unrighteous mammon. Use what God has given you in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord that others might hear the gospel. That's making friends with unrighteous mammon. Now this $10 bill, it's it's amoral. It can be used for the greatest good or the the, the worst evil, right? I can take this $10, I can go down and buy food for a hungry person. I can go buy a pornographic magazine or whatever. I make that choice. 
Now notice what it says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. In other words, beloved, a choice has to be made. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? We can talk all we want. But the truth is when we put our money where our mouth is. You ever heard that say? I remember that growing up. Put your money where your mouth is. Listen to this. A modern biographer who wrote on the Duke of Wellington said this. I quote, I had an advantage over earlier biographers. I found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than the reading of his letters or speeches. Now think about that. You want to know where your heart really is? beloved? You want to know what you really are at this level? Take your checkbook today and sit down and look at where you spend your money. Take your calendar and sit down and look and see where you're spending your time. Those two things will show you more than anything else, truly, what you really believe and what you really practice. I can talk all day long. Oh, oh, praise the Lord. I believe in missions. I believe in giving. I believe in in honoring the Lord with the first fruits. I believe in tithing. I believe all that. Well, do you really believe it? You see, the proof is there when you go and look at the records. Are we faithful? That's the key. Jesus says, I want you to be a faithful person. Now, some might be thinking, well, I don't have much money. And by the way, in our church, I don't know what you give and I don't want to know what you give. That's between you and God. But in our church, we have people of all various means. We have people, I'm sure, in this congregation that are barely making it financially. We have others that are making it quite well. Those who might even be considered wealthy. And it's between you and the Lord. You're giving in that. I want no knowledge of that. But you might be here today and say, listen, I don't make much money, so this really isn't for me. I don't have much money. Well, look again at the passage. I want you to see it. Look again at verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? In other words, the master entrusted to you what you have. You ever think about that? Now, God owns everything. We've already established that. Just like in this passage, the master owned everything, the steward owned nothing. And so God has said, here's what I want to give to you. And I want you to manage this for me. Now some, it might be $10. We'll use this as a representation. You've been given $10. For others, it might be $100. And God says, okay, here's $100. So one has 10, one has 100. Who gave that to them? The master. Now, what does God want him to do with the $10? He wants him to manage it and be a faithful steward. What does he want to do with the $100? He wants him to manage it and be a faithful steward. You see, it's not the quantity. Not the quantity. That's up to the master. That's up to the owner. We're just stewards. We're just faithful. Whatever God's given to us. And by the way, did you know this? If you make $15,000 a year, between the ages of 20 to the age of 60, you'll manage over a half million dollars in your lifetime. Now think about that. $15,000 times 40, do the math, $600,000. You say, I only make 15. And many people make far greater than 15,000. But if you just made 15,000 over that 40 year time span, you're going to manage over a half a million dollars. Some here, you're managing well beyond that. You manage millions of dollars. When you really think about your life, you see why it's important For you to find out what God says about money and be faithful in it. Now we've got to hurry. If you're going to have a godly attitude about money, you've got to acknowledge that God owns everything. You're just a steward. You're going to give an account. And the fourth thing, you must act wisely in handling God's possessions. 
You must act wisely in handling God's position. Now, where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Word of God. The Bible is loaded with instruction on money and possessions. We've learned some today in Sunday school. We've learned some this morning in our passage. God has gifted us with godly teachers and counselors who can help us. And God has given us tools built upon God's Word to help us to carry this thing out practically. And I want to give one to you today as you leave. One for each family. Now, boys and girls, do you all know what a map is? That's what we used to have before GPS. you remember a map? You would fold that baby out and open it wide up. Yeah, I'm so thankful for GPS. But I want to give you a map today. It's called the money map. It's, it's built upon biblical principles. By the way, I'll remind you, there's a website there. You can go and sign up and get it online and all kinds of resources. But what this money map does, and the church has bought these for you and your family, one per family. And so we'll give them to you as you leave today. If you're a college student, I want you to have one as well. If you're a high school senior at that age, I want you to have one. It walks you through step by step using godly principles and helping you to prepare for the ultimate destination. You say, what's the ultimate destination on here? That I can cruise and relax and go. Well, the ultimate destination is this, that I can have my time to be so open that I'm free to be generous. That's what retirement's all about, by the way. If God brings you to that point, He's giving you more time to serve Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with going golfing. There's nothing wrong with going on those sorts of things. But I mean, God has given you maybe that retirement. God wants you to use that for His honor and glory. So this walks you through step by step. Destination one. Are you ready? Download a free crown spending plan at crownmoneymap.org. And so we can get one of those for you if you don't have internet. But you've got that. Save $1,000 for emergencies. Now, that may seem like a monumental feat. And by the way, I'm not speaking as an expert personally today. I want you to know we've made all sorts of mistakes in our own finances over the years. And, and I've been a preacher from the get-go. And when I wasn't a preacher, I was working for a, a radio ministry that didn't, didn't pay a whole lot. And so I understand what it is to wonder. Uh, there were times where my wife was selling off stuff so we could make ends meet. I'll just be honest with you and really, really make it. So I understand what it is to be at various levels. But that $1,000 for emergencies, and there's, there's wisdom there. Proverbs 21.20 it says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. See, if you don't save something, then when an emergency gets, somebody's going to break their arm in your family. So you're going to have a, the tires are going to wear out of the car. You have to make preparations. Why? Because if you don't, you get into that danger of going into what? Debt. And God's people are hampered by debt today. I want you to know that. We're going to talk about debt in a future Sunday school lesson. And then the third part of destination one is start giving. And now how this works is there's all kinds of great stuff. I'll let you read it and go through it together. I'll help you if you need help with it. I give this to all the couples that come to me for pre-marriage counseling. We go through it and they make a budget. If you're getting married, you're going to make a budget. You're going to talk about finances. That can be very comical at times when I look at the budget and see what you're doing. But here's the thing. (laughs) Destination one, emergency savings. And you work your way through the different destinations. There's things on here about your life's purpose, your life's goals. There's some foundational principles from Scripture. This is a gift to you. You went and bought, I think they're $3 a piece. We were able to get a deal, buy them for everybody. They come out to ship it about $1.75. We're going to put it in your hands today. I want you to use it and sit down and talk about money as husband and wife, as a family. Talk about money. Who's going to teach your kids about money if you don't do it? Talk to them about saving and giving and spending. And so we're going to give that gift to you as you leave today. Now there's, five, there's four principles I've given you today. You're going to have a godly attitude about money. 
And I wonder as we close our time together, have you truly acknowledged in your life that God owns everything? Have you really done that? Have you truly come to realize that you are simply a manager? Do you really realize that you're going to give an account? You're going to stand before God one day. What did you do with all those things I gave you? Well, Lord, I squandered them. Lord, I wasted them. By the way, we serve a good God. We serve a great God. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. Now, I'm so thankful I can go. I can go and do a hobby. I can go on vacation as God enables, as God provides. God's not a... No, God is a glorious God. But I'm going to give an accounting. What did you do with your finances? Are you acting in a wise way? Now, somebody here may be in serious financial problems. We as a church family want to help you to break that bondage and to move forward in victory, serving the Lord and glorifying Him. So I want you to know we're here for you. I'm glad to help you in any way I can as we work through this series of finances and money. I would be unfaithful as your pastor if I did not talk to you about finances. Now, some people don't like when the church talks about finances. But if Jesus said 15% of everything ever said was finances, the Bible talks about it more than prayer and faith, how dare we not mention it in church? And so I want to help you any way I can. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We have covered a ton of ground today, and I appreciate your patience in listening. I wonder today, by the way, this means very little if you've never accepted God's gift of salvation. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, this doesn't really mean a whole lot to you. That's the starting point. You need to know forgiveness of sin as you place your faith in Jesus. I want to invite you in a moment. We have our closing hymn. If you've never received the Lord Jesus as Savior, as God works in your heart today, would you come and let me know that? I want to put you with someone who loves God and loves you and would share the Lord Jesus with you. If that's you, I want you to come during the invitation. I've talked to you today about finances, and I wonder, I gave you four keys. Now, would you be honest before God right now? As we have this closing hymn. Have you really come to accept and acknowledge that God owns everything? Have you really said, Lord, I'm a manager, I'm a steward of your possessions. I realize I'm going to give an accounting. And Father, I want to be faithful in what you give to me. Ever how little it is, ever how great it is, I want to simply be faithful. If you need to come today, And maybe give your finances to the Lord. I want to invite you to do that as we sing our closing song. Just come and pray right here at the altar. And say, Lord, I acknowledge you are the owner of everything. I'm your manager. I want to be faithful. I want to stand before you and be able to hear those glorious words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're going to give you a tool as you leave today. If we can help you, I want to do that. Father... Thank you for everything that you've given to us. We are a blessed people. Now, Father, I pray if anybody here does not know the Lord Jesus, I pray in these closing moments you would convict them of their sin and bring them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now, Father, I pray for those who do know you. As we've been challenged, I've been challenged afresh today to realize you own everything. We're just managers. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be just and right in what we do with what belongs to you. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your gifts. 
Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 275 is our closing hymn. There is time for you to come today and pray and talk with the Lord. You need to be saved today. Come let me know that. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to put you as someone who loves the Lord and will love you and share Jesus with you. If you want to come today and pray, maybe you need to come put your finances on the altar. You do that today. As we stand and sing, I surrender some, right? Is that what it says? I surrender all. It's not just about your pocketbook. This is the Lordship of Christ. You, you yourself, you belong to Him. 275, let's stand and sing.